Kids, help me out here. Who in the Bible suffered the most? Any, any, I, I heard Jesus. That's my answer, too. The man of sorrows. He suffered from the get-go. He suffered as an infant. He suffered. A, imagine all the misunderstanding. He was a man of sorrows. Who, who in the New Testament would you say suffered the most other than Jesus? I'd agree with you. Does everyone suffer, kids? Does everyone suffer? Ethan, what do you think? Do you think billionaires suffer? Yeah. Everyone suffers. Suffering is democratic. No one's left out. <laughs> Paul is zinging along in Romans chapter 8, and it is wonderful. And he's telling us how, how wonderful it is what Christ has done that you remember last week we talked about this. He's freed us from condemnation. No condemnation. Think about it. How wonderful that is. Now you can ac accept condemnation if you want to, but there is none. There is none. There is therefore now no condemnation. No is not much. No is very little. No is nothing. No condemnation. You don't have to have any condemnation. That's wonderful. Then he tells us we have absolute victory over sin because of the Holy Spirit. That's really good to know. We have victory over sin. Sin does not have to contain us. We contain it. We have victory over sin. We have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty wonderful to know. The Holy Spirit guides us. We prove we are, we are sons in that we are, are guided. And I told you last week that women, if we have to be brides, you have to be sons. So it's a fair deal across the board. We're guided. And then he says that we're adopted. We're in his family, which makes us what? Heirs. We, I, I didn't inherit $100,000. I inherited the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. kingdom. We have life. We have death. We have everything. It all belongs to us. We are rich way, 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 way beyond Buffett, those guys. Way beyond. We've got it all. And then we, we have a spirit in us crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So we have a sense of belonging. It is so wonderful. And then he hits us in the stomach with a whammo, with this massive word, if. He says, if indeed you share in his Sufferings that you also may share in his glory. What? Did he ruin it for us? Why do you have to throw that in? It was going so good. I mean, nothing, nothing like that. And then he bang. <laughs> Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't give seeker sensitive messages, and Paul doesn't either. They give God-sensitive messages, and that's not a criticism of anything or anybody. It's just saying that Jesus lays it out. There's no come-ons. In fact, there's warnings. Oh, you want to come and be my disciple? You don't, you're not going to have any, any place to lay your head. You have to go deal with things. So he doesn't try to, come on, I've got it good, got it good, and then later tell us, oh, there's small print to read. No, there's no small print. It's right in front of you. Suffering is Christianity 101. 
It'll be all of us. It'll be our portion. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that's coming you, says Peter. No one speaks about suffering per capita more than Peter in his book. No one uses suffering and glory in the same sentence as much as Peter. So my purpose this morning in looking at Romans 8, we looked at it last week and we gloried in our sonship. Now we glory in our suffering. I'm going to give you five points and I want you to discuss them with one another. If indeed, if you got Bibles, Romans 8, chapter 7, verse 17. If indeed we share in his sufferings, plural, say his sufferings. Is there anything in the Bible that would give you any indication that Paul's anything like a victim? You just, you don't sense that he's victimized by his suffering. Just to review, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, doesn't tell us the amount of times, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Can you imagine what his back looked like? I bear in my body the scars, he said. This is the only time he talked about it. Why didn't he talk about it when he wrote to Philippi? Why didn't he remind them how that church got started? I think I would have. Just so you know, it came out of an earthquake. Just so you know, the earthquake came because I was beaten up, and I went in the back, and we sang worship songs, and then God came down. It was rock and roll. He, he, he jostled the place, and it led to the starting of a church because someone converted when we didn't run. He didn't say anything about it. That would have been a good context for talking about joy, but it wasn't an issue for Paul. He didn't bring it up in every conversation. It was, he wasn't a victim. His sufferings. So when I see my own suffering as a part of the sufferings of Christ, the crucified one, the suffering one, the man of sorrows, it helps me. I'm sharing in his sufferings. I'm not alone. Paul even used that term with Philippi, that we may know the power of his suffering and, or the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the koinonia of his suffering. So rather than make it a point of poor me, I can make it a point of what a privilege. Second thing, present suffering enhances future glory. Say it with me. Hey, my page turns automatically. I consider that our present sufferings, plural, are not worth comparing. He doesn't even bring it up. They're not even worth comparing with the glory that re will be revealed in us. So how do we deal with suffering? Number one, we see it as his suffering. 
and we have fellowship with him and the things that we go through that God either gives us or allows us to go through the trials. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. We have trials, we have tribulation, we have tests, we have sorrows. And as we see that as a part of our life in Christ, it minimizes them. And then to see the future, Paul puts all of his marbles in the future. So does Peter. He says, set your hope fully. First Peter 1, either 14 or 17. Set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's coming. That's where it's at. And so whatever happens to me today is by comparison to the glory that is coming, it's minimal. And so I just read to you Paul's list. You know what he called it? Light momentary. 2 Corinthians 5. For our light and momentary affliction worketh in us a glory, exceeding great glory, far beyond all comparison. So he's looking to that future, and he's gazing upon the Lord who is returning, and he understands what that happens when that fullness of the revelation, who are the sons of God, when that is fully revealed in the earth. And he says it's so glorious, it's so wonderful. Uh, I got these mosquitoes here. I got kicked in my face with some sand. I got a cramp. It's nothing in comparison to that glory. Third, our cry for redemption matches nature. Nature is, is in birth pangs, literally. It is ready to be reborn. It will have a rebirth by fire, not by water this time. By fire, it's about to be reborn. And something, it's aware of it. Jesus talked about it as the renewal. In the renewal of all things, Matthew 19. There's going to be a renewal. Nature will be renewed. Why? No more trash, no more climbing a high mountain, and you find six beer cans up at the top, and you say, why didn't, why didn't they take them with them? <laughs> There's going to be beauty that is uh, unimaginable in the new earth. And so there's a groaning, and Paul says, we groan too. There's a groaning that takes place. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly bodies. Raise your hand if you know what he's talking about. You're not even 70 yet. And you're already beginning to groan. I, you feel it, don't you? You feel, the gr- you feel it. Your bodies don't do quite as much as they did 50 years ago. And you groan. That's okay. Longing to be clothed with that which is eternal. With a body that doesn't suffer any decay. Our bodies get older. Hallelujah. That would be appropriate at this time to say hallelujah. Because that is coming. And there will be no decay. There is decay. These trees decayed. Luke took down that tree because it was decayed. And it was dangerous. It was dead. So we had to take it down. And our bodies will decay. They will decompose. We say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. That's another hallelujah. So 
there is a kingdom now and not yet. The kingdom is here, but it's not visible. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It is not visible out there yet. Jesus reigns, but the world doesn't know that. He reigns over the nations, the Bible says, but the world doesn't know that. One day they will know it when he returns. It'll be very clear. But now they don't know that. The kingdom of God is within you. It's hidden. And, and there will be a, a growing understanding of the life of the kingdom as we walk closer to that day. But there is a tension between the now and the not yet that we feel. It works. Prayer works. But sometimes we're, we're baffled when we don't see it work. The disciples experienced that. Jesus got frustrated. How long do I have to be with you? Don't you get it? Here is the wonderful thing in the midst of that. Paul says, we, we don't even know how to pray right. We're groaning. And then he says, the Spirit groans with us in words that cannot be uttered. So the Spirit is praying for you to endure, to be manifested, to bring the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. You got a prayer partner. It gets better because you go on a few more verses and it says, Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, who is also. Okay, so we're going to put together a prayer team. I got 10 people on my prayer team. I really got a good prayer team. You got a good prayer team? Guy says, yeah. Who do you have? I've got the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Oh, oh. Yeah, that's a pretty good team. That's who you have on your team. Jesus has prayed nonstop for 2,000 years. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for you. How wonderful can it get? In the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our shame, here is Jesus at the right hand of the Father speaking to his Father, saying, Father, remember shame. Remember Margaret. Remember Tim. Remember Robin. Your word, the Holy Spirit within us is groaning and travailing and speaking to the Father on our behalf. How wonderful is that in the midst of our struggles. So we, we have advocates. We have people that are representing us, which, which then, it doesn't eliminate suffering, but it gives it a context that Paul can use. Otherwise, you got him singing this triumphant song and then you got suffering. But he says, no, it is triumphant. Our, even in our suffering, it is triumph because we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us and we have the Father. Then he goes on, number four. So far I've said three things. We've talked about his sufferings. Your suffering is his suffering. Present suffering leads to future glory. No victims. Our cry for redemption matches the groans of creation. Number four, nothing is wasted and certainly not pain. Nothing is wasted. We go through things, through our uh, mistakes. I heard a guy once say, there are two, the two main elements in the universe are hydrogen and stupidity. <laughs> and our stupidity leads us to do some really dumb things. 
to miss the way, to take the broad way, and to invite shame into our lives. And so we need to, we need to come back. But as we come back, the good news is that that stupid experience is not wasted. It becomes part of the compost for the fertilizer for new growth in life that comes into our life. So we say, praise God. And in that context, the context of suffering, the context of not knowing, the context of intercession, he says, for we know, say we know. We know comes in the context of suffering. It comes in James 1, where knowing that this testing your faith produces steadfastness. Exercise is artificial infliction of pain. Would you agree? You're, you're inflicting pain purposefully because you know something. If we know something in the midst of suffering, then it creates comfort. It creates hope. Knowing, Paul says, we know. What, is, what do we know? We know that in all things, God works for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's in the context of suffering. Suffering throws us for a loop. Suffering makes us think, whoa, did I go south? Did I make a mistake? Is he punishing me for something I did five years ago? Why is this happening? And I'm, I wonder, and it's in the context of trials and suffering that we're allowed to ask questions regarding for wisdom. It's not when I didn't, didn't study for a test and, okay, I need wisdom real quick. It's in the context of, of uh, things that I don't understand. I have, I have doubts because I'm suffering. I'm wondering what, what's the cause? What's, what's the, who, who started this? And Paul comforts me in saying there's nothing wasted. Even your turn south, and those who are called according to his purpose, who are walking in a, in a desire to please God, Everything fits. That's really good news. The, f- the last thing is that pain does not separate us from God's love. Say that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say this is true, that we sometimes interpret pain as the absence of God. We get pain and we think, well, God's not in this because I feel so terrible. Paul says just the reverse, that right in the midst of the worst pain, we're being loved in the most incredible ways. And so he first gives, he gives us two lists there as he's ramping up to give the clincher. I don't know if it gets any higher in New Testament theology, he's just ramping up. And so he gives a list of, of things that could come, a, uh, things that could defeat us. And he says, persecution. Karen called me up this morning and said they're persecuting people in China. They're, they're, they're cracking down. We heard earlier this week about Vietnam, that they were attacking Christians and beating them up. How terrible. What if that happened in Roseville? Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we be identifying with our brothers and sisters who got beat up for the cross? It's happening around the world. Nigeria, Somalia, China. So sad. How do they handle it? Well, they put it in the context of glory. 
They're suffering with Christ. They're not victims. They're victors in Jesus. And no pain, there's no pain that separates us from the love of God. So, so he says, is there persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. And then he quotes from the Old Testament that we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. That, that's a part of what we go through. We, we die daily. We're dying. As we say no to sin and yes to God and, and, and no to, to uh, self-indulgence and yes to self-denial, yes to going the way of the cross, regardless of, of uh, what it makes us feel. Then he lists our enemies and he includes demons and death. For I am persuaded, you can say it with me if you want to, that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor if I missed anything, <laughs> yeah, anything else, just throw that in too. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you're going through something now, it's not separating you from the love of God. You're experiencing, you're being embraced by the love of God in the midst of what you're going through. There's no separation. That is, that's really, really good news. I think of the missionary that was coming home after a long tour of duty, and there was a diplomat that was on the same ship and when they pulled into the harbor, there were ticker tape and, and uh, all kinds of explosions, not for the missioner, for the diplomat, who spent one-third the time that the missionary did. And the missionary was okay, but as he got home, he said, God, that didn't feel good. Can you help me out here? Here are the words he heard. You're not home yet. Keep your bags packed. This isn't your home. You're not a citizen here. You're an alien. You're a foreigner. You're from another planet, literally. You're from another kingdom. You're not going to be treated well by everybody here. You're not home yet. When you get home, well done. That's when the ticker, that's when it'll really mean something. And that helped him to, to feel uh, some of the suffering that the people of God feel when we are not regarded. You're not home yet. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world any. Put your hand on the person next to you. 
as we identify with the sufferings of Christ, we identify with the sufferings of one another. We don't know what each other is going through. Most of our suffering is silent and inward, but there's suffering here. And I appreciated the prayer that was prayed this morning, I think by Joe, that we could understand one another and help one another and care for one another and appreciate and walk through uh, suffering with one another. And the more we, we shed our own, the more we give ourselves. Jesus, the man of sorrows, it was a sorrow for other people that broke his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And so, Father, we pray that you would bind our hearts together, that you would soften us in love for one another. God, you know what we are going through, and we thank you that you understand our suffering. You understand our sorrows, and you don't beat us up when it's hard for us, even when we feel like we we're victims, that you, you help us to come to an, a new place. Thank you for understanding. Father, we pray for any who are especially going through difficult times today, that you would draw close to them and let your prayers at the right hand of the Father, Lord Jesus, be effectual for all here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you remember us and pray for us and intercede for us. Thank you that suffering cannot get us down because we are more, more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll take about 10 minutes for small groups. We like small groups here. And uh, if you led a small group last week, if you could just stand and uh, see how many we... You're, go you're going that way? Okay, anybody? Oh, you you got to head out. Oh, okay. You're going to have a very small group. Katie and Andy stand, and uh, yeah, Linda. Uh, so uh, let's gather around. Uh, gather around these people, or cre create your own. But groups of about four, at the most five. Uh, gather around and form groups of four, at the most five, and spend some time looking at this. Pray for one another. Support one another. Remember, I'm going to send you a sermon. And I want you to read it before next week.